So today, I get to start a brand new series called Wisdom, spelled a little bit uh, untraditionally, if you will. Um, not W-I-S-D-O-M, but W-I-S-D-U-M-B, Wisdom. I want to start out by uh, sharing a, a confession with you, okay? Um, even though I'm a pastor and I deal with people on a regular basis of what's going on in their life, um, I hate giving advice. I, I hate it. I am not good at giving advice. It scares me. It terrifies me to give people advice because I'm not that wise, and I know I'm not that wise. I'm like, you know, you're asking me for advice about these situations, um, and, and it, it, it's nerve-wracking to me because I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm the person to give you advice or not. That's why me, man, I always just point back to the Bible. That's me. I'm like, well, God's Word says this, and God's Word says this because, man, I, I don't feel comfortable telling you what to do with your life. Uh, you know, it, it, it's so... Um, scary to think that you would say something, someone would do it, then how could it turn out? But what's interesting to me is that in this world, I see people giving people advice all the time who have no right to be giving advice. You know, I mean, like, I'm scared to death of it, and I look around, and I hear this advice given by people, and I'm like, what in the world? Who would share that? Who would say that? Why would you trust that person? It's funny, Shakespeare said once, the fool doth think that he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. I think that's a pretty interesting quote. But when you look around in our, in our society, um, you know, real life, but I don't know, more than ever anymore nowadays, man, jump on Facebook. Oh, man. People posting stuff. What do you guys think? And there's like this list of comments that are just all terrible advice. They're like one after another after another. You're like, that's not, no, no, bad advice, terrible advice. Don't follow this, you know? And you're getting advice from people who don't even follow their own advice. They'll give you advice and you look and you're like, follow to their page and you're like, wait a second, these people aren't doing anything right with their own life either. They're telling me to do something. They aren't even doing it themselves. Or one of my favorites, of course, Twitter's, uh, Twitter, 140 characters or less to prove that you're an idiot. That's what it is most of the times. People in 140 characters can spout something off and you're like, wow, that was really, really dumb. You know? And I'm not just saying, like, I'm not picking on you guys' stuff, but all the way through to getting to follow these celebrities that think that they're so wise and they're posting these things and you're like, that made no sense at all. That was just terrible. And um, it's hilarious how all this, this bad advice, these things that sound smart get, keep getting put out, but they're, they're just terrible. Or even in, in real life circumstances, being a pastor, even though I don't really like giving advice, I, I get that asked of me uh, very often. People talk to me, what do you think? What do you think I should do a lot of times? Um, and when I talk to people, very often they'll bring um, advice that they have received from other people. Well, so-and-so said this or my mom told me this, or my friend told me this. And a lot of the times I'm like, okay, terrible advice, what you were just saying. These people will share stuff that other people have given to them, and I have to like stop, recoil. The good thing is, is after you've been a pastor for a while, you can disconnect what you're thinking from your face. Because you're like, you know, that your face would always just be shocked. But you can disconnect that where your mind's going, wow, that's really, really bad. And you can just smile and you're like, okay, let, let's take a look at this maybe a different angle, you know? And you can bring it back, but terrible, terrible advice. So I decided I wanted to create kind of a new word, a new word. And it's these, these things that sound smart when they're said. They sound like, wow, that's really wise. That's smart. But when you actually break them down, they're, they're terribly dumb. They're dumb. They don't actually make sense. Not when you compare them against truth. And that's, that's what I want to do with this is, is I want to pair these things against what we know is truth because if we can't distinguish these things, we could get ourselves into some dangerous situations. 
I believe that by what, what God's word said, it says this in Job twelve thirteen. It says, but true wisdom and power are found in God. Counsel and understanding are his. And I think that this is a good place for us to start is, is in reality, uh, any of us who are Jesus followers, if any of you guys aren't, um, you know, humor me for a little bit um, as, we, as we talk about this, but I, I really do believe that, that God is this true source of wisdom, of understanding, and that if we put these things against him as a comparison, we can find whether or not they have truth in them or whether actually um, they're quite dumb. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a, a, a piece of wisdom wisdom with you each week, and I'm going to compare it to what God's Word says. And you might be shocked at these, these things that sound so wise and how actually when you, when you put them against the Bible, they don't work. They don't hold up. They don't, they don't stand up. Um, so we're going to jump right into it today, and I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you probably one of the most commonly heard pieces of advice in a multitude of different environments. You see it in movies. You see it in television. You see it perhaps in your own life. And it's this, this great statement we've heard countless numbers of times. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. And it sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't that sound like rich, wise advice when you're, you're considering things and you'd share people and they, they, they'd say, well, you know what you just need to do? You just need to follow your heart. It will take you to the right location. The problem is it's not wise. When you compare it against Scripture, and I want to show you this, following your heart is actually a pretty bad way to make decisions. Jeremiah 17.9. It says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You actually take this back down to the original Hebrew, and the word that's, that's used there for wicked is actually a term that basically means sick. It means violently ill. It means uncurable, like cancerous. And that's the word that they use to describe the heart. He says that it's, it's deceitful, it's untrustworthy, and that it's actually, it's, it's sick. It's not healthy. It isn't a good source to look to, believe it or not. The Bible actually says that it's, it's, it's wicked, that there's something wrong inside of our hearts, and that it really does not make a good guide. Jesus really reiterates this when he comes on the scene. This isn't just Old Testament, but New Testament as well. Jesus comes along, and in Matthew 15, 19, he says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. This is going to be kind of a quiet message, isn't it? Like, whoa, already heavy, right? Jesus says, man, the heart, it's not some magical center for goodness and direction. Jesus says, actually, man, the heart's sick. It's got an illness, and it leads us to evil thoughts. It uh, leads us to sexual immorality, to theft, lying, slander. The heart's sick. And people will say, well, but you know, Cameron, that's that's not my heart. That's the devil. That's Satan. That's the, the devil. My heart's good. But that's just the enemy, and he, he tries to take me the wrong direction. I understand what you're saying, but see, James, he breaks this down, and I think he makes it really clear. This is what James says in James 1, 13 through 15. He says, and remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from, and this would be the place that we would find the source, our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
I'm not saying that the devil isn't behind all this. I'm not saying that he's not trying to get you away from what's right. I'm not saying that he's not the mastermind of the grand scheme. But what I'm saying is that to be honest with you, to find your own temptations, I don't think you need his help. I don't think you need his help. James is saying that our, our own desires, the ones inside of our hearts, as broken humanity, and that's the story of, from the beginning of the Bible, right? Is that, that when Adam and Eve sinned, that we were born into sin, and that all of us are, are born with that brokenness into, in us. All of us have a natural bend. We have a swerve. Anyone have a car that just always wants to go one direction? You ever drive one of those old junky cars, and you have to hold it in one direction the entire time, because if you let up, it'll take you off the road, or in time, coming traffic, so you die? Anyone? I've driven cars like that, right? And you just keep driving them. That's what the Bible says we have inside of us. Only instead of a steering wheel on the road, it, it is our, our will to do sin, that all of us have this natural bend where we always just swerve right towards sin every time. And it's inside of us. It doesn't take the devil to get us there. The Bible says our own desires entice us and drag us away. Verse 15 goes on to say, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That's a sobering verse. God's word says this, basically. If you follow your heart, you will find your desires, which will entice you, leading you to sinful actions, and will eventually take you to death. That's what the Bible says, following your heart entails. I want to show you a story of a man who, who followed his heart in God's word. A man who um, most of us know him uh, for his strength. His name is Samson. Most of us know the stories from when we were younger about this man who had great and mighty strength. He had, probably if you look through the Bible, I would say definitely the strongest man that ever lived in the Bible that you'd ever see. Dude was like crazy. He tore gates off of a city that were like 12 foot tall, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of a hill just to like mess with people. Dude was crazy. One time got mad, caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together and lashed a torch on them and let them go to set fields on fire. Dude is kind of hardcore, okay? And that's what most people remember him for. But what most people wouldn't think of is the fact that Samson is a great depiction of someone who always followed his heart. His heart, not necessarily his mind. Here's what it says, um, starting in in Judges. And Judges is uh, early on in the Bible, if you have it and you want to look at it. Judges 14, otherwise I'm going to have it up here for you. But Samson is born, and he's uh, what they call a Nazarite. And if, if you ever want to look back, a Nazarite vow was someone who was set aside to really, really be connected to God. Samson specifically, he was actually supposed to be a judge. And that's what these books, the book of Judges, is literally people who were used to judge and lead Israel, okay? Samson was one of these. And the Nazarite vow entailed a few different things. He had to let his hair continue to grow. He couldn't eat anything that came from grapes. Like he couldn't eat grapes. He couldn't eat wine. As well, he couldn't touch anyone that was dead. A lot of the Jewish law, all that stuff was very, very important for someone who was part of a Nazarite vow, okay? Here's what happens with Samson. As we continue on in the story, we get to Judges 14. And this is when Samson gets a little bit older. Uh, you know, my guess is his hormones are kind of kicking in. Maybe he's like 17, 18 years old or something like that. You know, they're raging in there. And in Judges 14, 1 through 3, this is what it says. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught, caught my eye. She was hot. That's what it means, if you were wondering, Okay. He says, I want to marry her. Go and get her for me. And his father and mother said, 
Well, Samson, just follow your heart. Samson, follow your heart. No, actually they objected. They said, isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Now Samson knew, on top of the fact that, you know, this is kind of dangerous ground, especially being a Nazarite, he was not supposed to marry outside of his group because his group were his people. Not only that too, but they were people who were followers of Israel. These would be pagan people who didn't believe in his God, totally outside of the domain of what he was supposed to find as a mate. Not right. And when he comes back, his parents even tell him wise advice. Can't you find anybody who's part of our tribe, somebody who believes like we believe? Why would you go and find a pagan? This is not what you're supposed to do. I mean, not only that, but Samson was born in this amazing way. His, his mom was actually barren, and an angel came and told her that she was going to have Samson. It was this miraculous thing, and, and they knew Samson was supposed to be great. And here he is turning away from what he knows to be right. And they try to convince him, but see, the problem is, is that he wasn't using his head. He was using his heart. What happens is, is the sinful nature began to drag him away. And you see what he says is he didn't, he didn't have any logic to it. What, what was his response? Get her for me. She looks good to me. She looks good to me. He's using his heart, his feelings, what he felt at the moment to determine his path. And this sinful desire began to drag him away. And this is a big thing I want you to get, okay? This is a big takeaway I want you to get from, from this message. Something, if you want to write it down or you want to remember it, is this. We cannot follow our heart because our heart is often in disagreement with what we know to be true and right. I'll say it again. We cannot follow our heart because our heart is often in disagreement with what we know to be true and to be right. Our heart can lie to us. It's deceitful. This is what happened with Samson. He knew what was right. He knew he wasn't supposed to be going and finding a Philistine girl to marry. But you see what happens. He says, yeah, but she looks good to me. Heart's telling me yes. I understand the facts stand against it, but my heart says yes. Those hips don't lie. You know what I'm saying? Heart was deciding. It was just a Shakira lyric. If you guys didn't know, you can go back and you can get that, okay? And what I want to share with this is... is I know that's a story of Samson, but there are countless stories in and amongst us, our families, our friends, that go about that exact same way, don't they? There are countless marriages that are terminated and ruined by people who say, yeah, I know it's not right, but my heart says yes. Yeah, I understand that I said, till death do we part, but you know, he just gives me, he gives me something that my husband doesn't give me anymore. Yeah, I understand that, that I, we have kids together and we have all this, but, but, you know, my wife isn't even fun to be around anymore. My heart's saying, this girl, man, she feels right. It doesn't matter, does it? See, often our heart can be in disagreement with what we know is true and what is right. Tons and tons of people have followed their heart to destroying marriages, to destroying families, to destroying their reputation because it felt right. They followed their heart. As we continue to follow Samson's story, he follows his heart 
And it takes them into pride. It takes them into anger. It takes them into lust. Those things lead him into times of murder and vengeance. We find him later sleeping with prostitutes until he finally lands in the lap of a woman named Delilah. The story of Delilah is a heartbreaking one. He meets this girl. She's a complete, I mean, just a, a con artist, basically. Her people have her try to trick Samson into telling what his, his strength is. And three different times she asks him, what's the secret of your strength? He makes up a lie. She does it to him, wakes him up and says, the Philistines are here to kill you. He breaks out and he kills all the Philistines. But three times he told this woman what his secret was and she used it against him. And yet still, the fourth time after her nagging, he was dumb enough to tell her what his secret was. Why? It's following his heart. See, Judges 16.4, it says, sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. And even though everything in his mind, I'm sure, was telling him, this crazy chick just betrayed you three times in a row, even though everything in his mind is telling him, don't tell her, don't tell her. His heart's saying, but I love her. But, but I love her. I want to share everything with her. He tells her, and sure enough, she does it to him. They come, gouge out his eyes, make him a slave. He ends up dying in some sort of heroic way when he takes down the temple that he was working in, but it, it meant the end of his life. It's, it's a perfect picture of the fact that just as uh, that James, 13, uh, James 1, 13 through 15 says that our desires lead to temptation, the temptation leads to sinful actions, and the sinful actions lead to death. That is the story of Samson. That is the story of, of him. And I know it seems extreme and you're like, hey, I'm not going to kill anybody. Hey, I'm not going to probably end up dying because of these decisions I make. But give it time. I mean, g- give it time. I know it doesn't sound like that right now in the situation you might be facing where you, you're deciding to follow your heart. But, but give it time. Give it 20 years. Give it a lifetime. Maybe you don't kill somebody, but maybe you kill your family. That family never wants to talk to you again for the rest of your life. Maybe you, maybe you don't end up dying, but you destroy and kill your reputation so that you're never remembered as a good man. That your kids and your grandkids never look back and say, he was a good man. They say he was a nobody, a bum, a cheat, run out on us. Give it time. The heart doesn't make a really good guide. In reality, the Bible says that that, that's not the case. But the problem is we can't just forget it. We can't just say, okay, so the heart makes a bad guide. I'm not going to listen to my heart at all. I'm just going to walk away from it, ignore it, and everything will work out perfect. That's actually not going to work either. Because the heart is actually tremendously important. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now wait, you're going to be saying, okay, now wait, Cameron, you said, don't follow your heart because it won't lead us in the right direction, but now you're telling me the Bible basically says that I'm going to end up following my heart anyway? Kind of, yeah. The Bible says that the heart is going to determine what direction you go in life. You can't just simply forget it. You have to guard it because your heart is going to determine the entire course of your life. You're going to end up following it towards something. So it's important that we handle our heart instead of letting our heart handle us. It's important that we handle our heart instead of letting our heart handle us, run over us. I want to share another story with you from the Bible. 
It's this man named, named Solomon. You probably heard of him. He's like one of the greatest kings in, in the history of the Old Testament. Um, we'll find his story in, in 1 Kings 11. Solomon was, was David's wife. I mean, sorry, David's wife. David's son. His mom was David's uh, stolen wife, which we'll talk more about in the coming weeks, actually. But Solomon um, w- was a great king. Um, he took over for David. He built God's temple. He had peace, man, riches like crazy. Not only that, but God said that he would bless him. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, I will give you wisdom. I will also give you peace and I will give you prosperity. The man was like the wisest person ever. People would literally travel. Other leaders would travel across the world to come and meet him and share things with him because he was so wise, he could instantly figure out what the solution was, what the direction was. Man was the wisest person that's ever lived on this planet. God gave him special, special wisdom. Now, all that being said, you would say then, now, th- now, this dude's legit then, right? Super smart, blessed by God, has everything, superpowers wisdom, right? He'd be like wise man, okay? If he's superpower, right? He's smart enough to stay out of trouble, right? He's smart enough to realize that his heart could be deceitful, and he's smart enough to stay close to God and not be led astray. Now, that's what you would think. First Kings 11, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, from Ammon, from Edom, from Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your heart to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. First of all, this part of the Bible, as you can tell, is actually set in Utah. (laughs) Get it? That's funny. Set in Utah because the dude has 700 wives. Guys, yes, what? That's what I'm thinking, right? 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 women that he loved. Dude had a problem. Anyways, we see the fact that it says, I mean, he's the wisest man ever, and God made clear, you must not marry these foreign women because they will turn your hearts towards their gods away from me. The wisest man on earth. He couldn't keep it together. He couldn't keep it together, even though he had all this wisdom. I think Proverbs 28, 26 is perfect. And I like to take it back to the King James because I think it just says, it sounds so great. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. See, even with all of his wisdom, all of his wisdom, when he followed his own heart, he became foolish. Following your heart can lead to a multitude of different issues because it is sick. It can lead to selfishness, to greediness, to anger, um, but, but in regards to relationships and sex, I believe that it's, it's extra dangerous. Extra dangerous. I mean, the, the wisest man on planet Earth, Solomon, was distracted by it. He followed his heart, said that he loved these foreign women. He just couldn't help himself, right? And it led to his destruction. This ruined Solomon's memory. What could have been a man that we read about and said, wow, I mean, he had everything, wisdom, perfect, finished his race strong, is marred by the fact that here marked down in his account 
is that actually at the end of his life, he turned his heart away from the Lord because instead he followed all these women. The reason why I say this is that you do not have to be dumb to mess this one up. You. You don't have to be dumb. You don't have to be stupid like I'm, like I'm talking down to you, like, oh, you're not smart enough. You're going to follow your heart into danger. No, you don't have to be stupid to mess this one up. I guarantee you Solomon was smarter than you. I guarantee you God graced him with special wisdom. I guarantee you he's smarter than all of us. Yet still, because he followed his heart, it led him to destruction. He wasn't wise enough. It means that we must guard our heart passionately. We must protect it from things that would try to take it away. Solomon knew the rules, but see, his heart said something different. He probably had an advisor that a thousand times said, well, Solomon, just follow your heart, right? And the next time, and the next time, and the next time. For a thousand times, he came Dude, do you think I should get, you know, number 998? Well, Solomon, I mean, just follow your heart. Okay, 998 it is, right? And he just kept doing this. Here's another big point I want you to remember, okay? Your conditions, your conditions must conform to your convictions, not your convictions conform to your conditions. Let me say it again because it sounds kind of confusing, but it's good. Your conditions must conform to your convictions, not your convictions conform to your conditions. What I mean is that convictions are inconvenient. They're tough. Convictions show up when there's something sitting in front of us that we want. And our conviction is what stands in the way. Yeah, I know that I'm not supposed to go out with that person and I'm not supposed to hang out with that person. And I know that I probably shouldn't be text messaging him right now. And I know I probably shouldn't make out with him, but he's so darn cute. Yeah, I, I know, right, that, that I, I said I was going to wait until I'm married, but yeah, I, I know that I said I was going to be faithful to him or her to the last day of my life, but you see, convictions are inconvenient. They show up at the moment we don't want them to. And if we begin to change what we believe at moments that are convenient to our current situation, you are on a path for destruction. I'm not saying that, that our thoughts and our, our mindsets on things can't ever change. I'm not saying that you can't have one thought on something, maybe when it comes to dating and sex and relationships, and that that can't shift and become something different. But I say this about you, and listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If those convictions and thoughts begin to change at times that are perfectly opportune for your current relationships or the person you're with, it's compromise, and you're on the road to destruction. See, our circumstances, the world around us, should be pressed into fit what we actually believe, what our convictions are. If we have to change the shape of our convictions to fit our circumstances, it'll lead us toward destruction. This is especially, like I said, especially true when it comes to sex, dating, relationships. I was saying to my mom this morning, I said, so funny, you know, when I was in youth ministry, I thought that this was all just a youth problem. And then when I got to college ministry, I thought this was all just a college problem. And then I get to adult ministry and I realize you guys all have the exact same problems. 
17-year-olds, the exact same. I deal with people who are 50 years old who still can't understand that if she's not your wife, you aren't supposed to sleep with her. Still can't get that. 50-some years old, right? It still happens. It's because this one is, is extremely, extremely tempting. Man, we can follow our heart and it leads us to destruction. I want everybody who's not married, everyone who's not married, please just lock eyes with me for just a second. Please, just in, in, please. Okay, let me say this. If you are a Jesus follower, if you are a Christian, the Bible is 100% clear you are not to date and marry a pre-Christian. The Bible makes it clear. It's not only just that, but you're not even just supposed to date and marry a Christian, not just somebody who says, yeah, I'm a Christian. They're supposed to be of equal spiritual nature with you. If you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're supposed to be with somebody who really believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's so vitally important. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, Paul talks about this. He talks about it again, uh, or before, in 1 Corinthians 7 as well, too. And, And it's a story that goes throughout, but this is what it says. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from among the unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Bible's not saying that you shouldn't be friends with pre-Christians. It says you shouldn't date and marry them. It's not saying that right now, if you're currently married to somebody who's a pre-Christian, you should leave them. In fact, he goes on to talk about the fact that if you're in a committed marriage relationship with somebody who is of a opposite belief, who is of that, you're supposed to stick with it. You're not supposed to back out on that, on that marriage. You're supposed to be Christ inside of it and win them to the Lord. But if you are before, if you are on this side of marriage, there's no, there's no gray area in that. And I know, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, but I can be light to them. No. Yeah, but they're a really good person. No. Yeah, but, you know, I love them. No, not good enough. And I know I'm crazy and I'm fired up about it, but it's the truth. I'm saying that these, your heart is going to lead you to destruction. It all sounds really good right now, and it will sound all really good up until you get married. And then about five years down the road, you're going to hate your marriage because you're married to somebody who hates what you're supposed to love more than anything. The Christ that you're supposed to love and serve, the God who you're supposed to follow, you go all through this, and it feels right, and it feels right. Then a couple years down the road, I don't understand why I can't stand my husband or wife anymore. Maybe it's because they don't love the primary love of your life. If you are on the pre-side of marriage and you're a Christian, I know it sounds harsh. Do not date and marry somebody who doesn't have the same belief as you. You walk it out farther down the line. I know, people roll their eyes out at me. You don't understand. My situation's different. Nope, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're hearing a lying, deceitful heart. That's what the Bible says you have inside of you. 
And you're going to tell me right now, you're going to look at me and think, no, you don't understand. I understand. The Bible's true. And you're going to think that you're, wrong, that you're right and I'm wrong until five or six years from now, and then you're not going to want to come back and tell me I'm right anyway, okay? But it's going to happen because the Bible is true. And I'm telling you that your heart, if you listen to it, if you don't guard it, if you don't rein it in, if you don't handle it, instead you let it handle you, it will lead you to destruction. The heart is sick. And the heart will determine your course of life. So is there a solution? Yes. We can't follow our heart. Instead, we have to submit our heart to Jesus. We have to make our heart obedient to Jesus, and then we follow him. We don't follow our heart anymore. What we're supposed to do with our heart is we're supposed to to put it under the authority of Jesus. Deuteronomy 36 and verse 10. I want to read these two for you. It says, The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul, and so you may live. The Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep the commands and decrees written in this book of instruction, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. We are to submit Not follow our heart and put it up on a pedestal to follow, but instead we are to take our heart and to submit, which means to put under the authority of Jesus. We are to take our hearts and put it under the authority of God's word, under the authority of our God, and then we are to let him change our heart and then follow him. We don't change our heart and then follow our heart. We follow Jesus. This means, in in very, very simple terms, it means that we listen to him instead of our heart when they disagree. When our heart says one thing and the truth and God and his word says another, we believe God's word instead of our heart because we know that that is true. It means that we check our heart against his word, against him. It means that we compare it to it and say, is my heart feeling the right things or is this a lie? Is it deceitful? Because our heart is. It means that we are obedient even when our heart says otherwise, and that's a hard situation. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm saying it's right. It's going to lead you to the right place in your life. It will keep you away from destruction. God will change our hearts then to become more like his, to become more and more trustworthy. But we don't start following it. We still follow Jesus. But when we have a relationship with us, he will continually change our heart so that our heart is less and less and less deceitful, which is a great thing because you find yourself arguing with your heart less and less the longer you've submitted it to Jesus. Sometime soon, you're going to find yourself in a situation and you will get handed this wise sage advice, follow your heart, follow your heart, but you'll know better. You'll say, that sounds like wisdom, but that's wisdom. Our hearts make poor guides because they disagree with what we know to be true and right. Our hearts make poor guides because they can lead us to change our convictions to match our circumstances. We're not supposed to follow our hearts. We're supposed to submit that heart to Jesus and then follow him. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for what a good God you are. I thank you that you you put inside of your scripture deep and meaningful words, Lord, that can, that can help direct us in this life, not just in the, in the scape of e- eternity, which is so vitally important that, that you came and you died for us and that we can have salvation, but that you hide wisdom that, that affects how we live our life for the rest of our time here. 
great wisdom like this that keeps us from being led into destruction. And I pray today, Lord God, that you would touch all of our hearts, Lord, that you would let us realize that our our own hearts are, are sick and they can lead us in the wrong direction, that we must submit our heart to you, to your authority. And I just thank you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Please join us again next week as we continue wisdom with another wise piece of advice.